when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. From 1047 WHUP LP Hillsboro, this is She and Her. I'm Sandra Davidson. And I'm Anita Rao. Welcome back. We're happy to be back in the studio live tonight. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been here, because we've been out in the world doing some other things. We have. What have we been doing, Anita? We had our very first live event last Thursday at Motor Co. We got together with three other triangle-based podcasters to do a little podcast showcase on stage. Um, yes, we did. Our moms came, of course, and killed it. We wore sequined um, tank tops, <laughs> which made noise, which was great. Yes. Um, what Anita's trying to say is we had stage presence. We had stage presence. <laughs> that is what I'm trying to say. Uh, no, but we had a great time, um, and we are really enjoying connecting more with other storytellers in the area, and we are going to continue to do that in the spring. Yes, with a course <laughs> at CDS, the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke. So Anita and I are going to be teaching podcasting for the people, which is basically a six-week-long boot camp that begins in February, ends in April. Tuesdays from 7.30 to 9, and we're going to walk people through the entire process of pitching a show, putting a show together, um, how do you make this happen? How do you make it successful? And we are really excited to be doing that. And we're going to put information about how you guys can register for that online on our Facebook, our website, and the rest of our social media. But definitely check it out. I went to a podcasting conference this summer, a women in podcasting conference, and they were talking about how even though in the top, I think the top 100 podcasts on iTunes, like the great majority are women overall, women make up a very small percentage of podcast hosts. So we especially encourage any women that have yes. podcasting ideas to come on out. That's right. Um, but moving on from business to our show tonight, we're really excited to be joined in studio by Emily France. She is a dynamic fiddler and guitarist and singer from the duo Mandolin Orange. She's a local. She and is. she has been performing with Andrew Marlin since 2009 as Mandolin Orange. The two met at a bluegrass jam session and started making music together shortly after, and they are really known for their evocative, sparse sound and skillful songwriting, and they are now a fixture on the folk and Americana circuit. 
They released their third full-length album, Blind Faller, just this fall and have recently returned to Chapel Hill after what appeared to us as a grueling tour schedule. (laughs) Uh, Emily, welcome to She and Her. Thanks for having me. We are excited for you to be here. So we'd love to start by you taking us back a bit um, to talk a bit about your earliest memories of even playing the violin at all. Yeah, um, my earliest memories, I I tried to start taking violin lessons when I was a little bit too young, I think. And then my (laughs) mom put the brakes on it because she didn't want to have to force me to practice. Um, She felt like she was being mean or something. (laughs) But my parents really wanted all, I have two sisters, and they really wanted all of us to um, have to take music lessons in something. And so they just let us all choose what instrument that was going to be and made us commit to it and said this, you know, think long and hard about your choice because you're going to have to stick with this instrument. And I have no idea why I chose the violin, but I did. And um, And you stuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to my parents. They did make me do that. Um, But... I took Suzuki violin lessons, which is like classical, um, where you learn to read sheet music, but you also do a lot of learning by ear, which I'm really glad I started at a young age. And um, and and then I kind of lost interest with the, the very sort of strict classical approach um, after a few years, and I really was just uninterested in begging my parents to let me quit. And they, that was when they said, well, we won't let you quit, but you can take fiddle lessons hmm. or, or some other kind of style of music that's a little more fun. And that was my entrance into bluegrass and old-time music. Tell us what that was like. It was really fun for me. I think part of it was I... Um, I switched teachers, so I switched to a fiddle teacher, and she was like this really young, cool um, woman that lived out in the country by herself. Her name was Betsy Chateau. I don't think she lives around here anymore, but um, I was 14, I think, at the time, and so I was just really highly influenced by how cool she was. <laughs> and so the fact that she was my fiddle teacher and, and, and bringing this new music into my life, I think it, it really just made me identify with it a lot more and think it was super cool. Um, but that was really the beginning of my relationship with bluegrass and traditional music. I didn't necessarily grow up with it at all. So when you went to you went to UNC Chapel Hill, did you go with the intention of doing anything musical in college, or did you think it was sort of going to be a departure for you? Um, I definitely did not. By the by, the end of high school, I had kind of lost some of my focus on with music, and um, so by the time I was starting college, I really I don't even know if I had my fiddle with me hmm. in my dorm room. Um, and it wasn't until a few years into college, really when Andrew and I met um, through some mutual friends of ours, the Big Fat Gap, who have a local bluegrass band, um, that I was just starting to think about how I would like to have that in my life again. Um, but it was definitely not part of my academic experience at all. Hmm. And tell us more about you guys meeting. <laughs> well... It was almost exactly eight years ago because it was on Obama's first inauguration day. Oh, wow. wow. And it snowed that day. And there was, you know, there's just a lot of excitement in the air. And I remember I got a really random text from my friend Miles, who plays in Big Fat Gap, and said they were having a jam at the 
Armadillo Grill that night in Carborough. And it was totally on a whim that I went because I never really saw those guys and wasn't playing that much music at that point. But I went and um, then Andrew and I met that night and we played a lot of traditional tunes. And um, it was mostly like traditional bluegrass tunes at that point that we were playing together and then gradually started working in a lot of his um, more original material that he was writing at the time. What did it feel like to be in that jam space when you'd been away from the fiddle for quite a while, for a couple of years? Um, definitely personally felt rusty, but really exciting at the same time because it, it's just really fun to play music with people. And especially when that's been absent from your life. Yeah. I think I don't even remember what that feels like anymore because music is such a big part of my life now. But um, I can remember it just feeling intensely satisfying in this mm. way that nothing else really is. Do you want us to give us a sample of some of the <laughs> yeah. more old-timey stuff that you do? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do a, um attempt a fiddle tune that I thought was sort of appropriate. It's called Old Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> France playing old Ebenezer Scrooge yeah. on the fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. So, okay, you guys were jamming and then you started playing music and working on music, original music outside of it. What drew you towards this genre of bluegrass and folk music? I think um, a lot of external factors. It wasn't necessarily that I was pulled really strongly personally to that music, but it seemed like there were opportunities there. When I, um, we were talking earlier about Betsy, after I started taking lessons with her, she kind of introduced me to some folks that I started playing in, in a bluegrass band with when I was in high school. And it was, um, you know, a bunch of much older men and then me playing fiddle. And that's where I really learned a lot more about how to play with other people and what the fiddle's role really was in the music. Um, but I got a lot of really positive encouragement from them and from 
a lot of other people that I was able to play with during that time. And so I think I um, just kind of stuck with it. It wasn't necessarily that that bluegrass really pulled me in. It was more that that's where the opportunities were, and that's kind of what I knew how to do, and so I did it. You said that playing music with people is really fun. Can you kind of describe what that feels like to you when you're doing it? Yeah, I think it's it's a more distant um, feeling for me now because, like I was saying, I do it all the time. But when you're, I think especially when you're younger or when you're doing a lot of solo practice and work, you're you're playing, you're spending hours a day playing by yourself all the time and working on things and, and you just get really used to hearing yourself. And so then when you play in a context with a bunch of other parts that are complementary to each other, other, in, other instruments and um, melodies and things, and you hear it all come together and it, all of a sudden it sounds like music hmm. instead of just the part that you're playing, um, is just it just gives you some kind of high, I think. So I'll have to admit it took me forever to really think about the pun in the uh, band's name. Um, but is there... Wow, that just occurred to me. You're kidding me. <laughs> it took me a little while, too. Um, what's the origin story of the name? Oh, wow. nothing. You guys heard it here first. <laughs> nothing really all that profound. You know, Andrew is the songwriter, and he just loves wordplay of all okay. kinds so he i think at the time actually he was borrowing he was just learning to play the mandolin and he was borrowing a mandolin from a friend and it was little and orange and round uh, and he just sort of came up with that and you know here we are here you are <laughs> so many years later it stuck well can you take us behind your creative process so he writes the material how do we get from there to what we hear on the record um so yeah andrew is the songwriter it's something that i've never really felt a calling to do um and but i'm around a lot when he's working on the songs which is nice for me because they kind of subconsciously make their way into my head and i'll be humming harmony parts or hearing melodies or things um like that before we ever really sit down to play the song together so um, at some point in the process, sometimes it's before the song is finished, but a lot of times it's when Andrew feels like he's gotten it to a point where he feels like lyrically and melodically it's complete. And and then we'll sit down and figure out whether he's going to sing it or whether I'm going to sing it and if mandolin fits better or fiddle fits better. And um, it, it, it just kind of depends on the, the period of time as well, whether we're trying to tour just as a duo which is what we've done for the majority of the time that we've been playing but we also sometimes are playing with a band and that can really impact the way we arrange songs tell us a bit about that duo dynamic and how you navigate spending so much time with one person (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting my parents have asked me the same question but uh i think neither of us really knows any different because we were so young when we met mm. that we never really had a, an adult life where we really had this surge of individualism and in my time and this is what I do with it. And mm. um, 
so I think in that sense, it kind of just came naturally. And we have very opposite personalities, which I think helps us out a little bit, too. Um, but most of the time in the car, there's not a whole lot of conversation mm-hmm. just because you really need that time to recharge. Um, and I I have certain things that I like to do when we're on tour. Like I really enjoy running in the last couple of years. That's been a big thing for me on the road. And that's when I feel the most like I'm just in my own space Mm -hmm. and my, and no one's going to interrupt my thoughts with something. And, um, that it's really nice to have that time, but you kind of just adapt to not having it. Is there a song that you always love to sing? together on stage like is there a favorite is there an old favorite that's a great question um there are there are a lot um but there are certain songs some songs you kind of get tired of doing after a few years and other songs you really don't and one of the ones that I never really get tired of is one that Andrew wrote but I actually sing called there was a time and it's I think it's one of probably one of the catchier melodies that he's written. And it's one that people seem to have really gravitated to. And so I think you get this energy from the crowd. You can tell that that people know the melody or are humming it. Well, let's take a moment now <laughs> to hear one of your songs from Mandolin Orange. What are you going to play for us? I'm guessing maybe I will play that song that I mentioned. There was a time. I'm used to, you know, having a chorus of beautiful harmony come in behind me, but I'll just have to <laughs> imagine it. Try it. <laughs> yeah, could you guys get the baritone yeah. and the tenor? Oh, yes. showed up to your wedding wearing black and blue and red wouldn't it seem fitting cause I'm as bruised and angry as I There was a time 
There's no gold on either side of the Mississippi No silver in this world left to find As precious metal and precious memories Slip away, slip away from your finger and your mind There was a time when I called was a time when I called you mine France and mandolin orange. Thank you so much. I know it's probably hard to do that without the yeah, other part that you're used it's, to. It's well, the hardest place <laughs> to play is in a radio studio. Mm. So, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it, you know, you really hear everything. It's a little scary. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, but, it sounded no, beautiful. Well, thank yes. you. All right. Well, we are going to take a break, and when we get back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Back more of the show. Um, well, we'd love to shift now to talk a bit about being a woman in the world <laughs> of music. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned early on that some of your first experiences were you with a bunch of older guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear about sort of how what that felt like at the time did you notice it and how the experience of being a woman in the bluegrass world has um evolved for you yeah i think um at the time i don't know that you know i was 15 give or take um when i was starting to play in that context and i don't think i really noticed all that much Mm -hmm. i was 15 and just sort of in my own mind and i felt very comfortable and supported by the people that I played with. Um, and I wasn't necessarily taking in as much of the world around me, I don't think. <laughs> um, I think I enjoyed the attention that I got. Um, but, you know, just being on stage. Um, but there definitely was 
a sort of, you know, the sort of dynamic of like, well, you know, little Emily, the token girl, fiddle player kind Mm -hmm. of thing, which I guess on some level was very obvious and maybe even appropriate when I was like a 15 year old (laughs) sticking out playing (laughs) with uh, a bunch of grown men. Um, But I have noticed that I think as I've gotten older that that is kind of in some cases a cultural thing in that world that that doesn't necessarily go away Mm. when you grow up and you're an adult that you're still sort of the little girl. Mm. And how does that manifest itself? Like when you're touring or when you're sound checking or when you're at festivals? I think um, in the, I haven't noticed that particular dynamic as much in the world that I feel like Andrew and I spend more time in now, which is, I like to think maybe just the broader music community. I think it is very, still very male dominated. Um, And I would say, I think the thing that I experience most in that realm is more just this um, that there are so many more men working at venues, touring in bands in sort of every aspect of the work that when you show up as a woman in a band, I feel like you're, you're at risk of falling into maybe in other people's eyes, one of two categories. One is either that you're just sort of like, the token girl who's there to be pretty and stand on stage, but who's not really that good at music. The tambourine girl. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, or the other side of that, which I feel like I probably fall into more is if you're super hands on and like involved in everything and you're opinionated and you're being involved in things and asking questions, then all of a sudden you're this other stereotype of Mm. just like a witch. Mm -hmm. And, I I haven't felt it so much in the moment, but I think um, reflecting on it, I think some subconsciously a lot of times I'm trying to ride that line. Like I don't want to fall into either of those categories. I mean, no one would. Right. And and so you're you're a little more aware of everything that you're doing and saying and how you're being perceived by other people. And that what's so frustrating is that it's even in your head. Yeah, something to be aware of. Right. Like, that's unnecessary labor. Right. Or it should be. Right. For sure. Well, how has your relationship to feminism evolved? I feel like just the older I get, the more um, feminist I become or the more the bigger role it has in my mind and in my life. And um, Same. <laughs> yeah, same, obviously. <laughs> I And I yeah, I think part of that was that at least to some degree, I was raised with two sisters in a very egalitarian household. And uh, I just, I never paid attention to gender dynamics. I didn't have any brothers with who had different expectations than, you know, what was expected of me. So I wasn't making those kind of comparisons until I was much older. And, um, and, you know, I, I grew up with all kinds of opportunity and support. So it really didn't come up for me until, um, I've gotten older and just being out in the world more and it's and it's all these just little minor things um very below the surface things in in interactions with people and especially um you know men a lot of the time that I feel like it takes 
years of like sifting through it and trying to reason through it to to even start to realize like hey this is messed up or like why is he talking to me that way yeah (laughs) i'm a 30 year old woman yeah (laughs) i was at a a homecoming event for unc last year and i remember being at a bar and this man who was probably in his 50s came up to me and i'm i'm almost 28 he came up to me and was just like Oh, little darling, blah, 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 blah. And I would say, like, I don't know, two years ago, I'd been like, oh, he's just being Southern. But, like, that particular moment, I was, like, annoyed. Yeah. Like, why do you call, why am I, why is there little in front of any way that you're describing me? And why are you describing me in that way at all anyways? And I think, and it's, and it's not even necessarily that that person in that moment was trying to be patronizing or belittle you. It's just this thing that is so pervasive mm-hmm. that people don't even know they're doing it. Totally. And I think there's something, my sister and I have talked about this a lot, of being like a physically shorter woman, which like we both, I mean, I don't know, I'm five three and a half. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm five three. So, <laughs> um, But where that also really comes into play, um, I feel like it does, I mean, I work as a radio producer, so people don't physically see me until I get into the office, but sometimes it comes into play, you know, Definitely, once they meet me face to face, it's like, oh, okay, I can like already take you less seriously because right. you're small. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you're on stage a lot. So I imagine that that, I wonder if that dynamic is present for you. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, just in general, the, the, you don't realize that you go through your whole, because we've never lived in different bodies, but <laughs> right. like you're l- basically looking up to everyone you talk to and yeah. everyone who's talking to you is looking down, talking down to you, not in their language necessarily, right. yeah. but, but sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I definitely noticed that. And, you know, people just comment on, on, I think on stage too, sometimes people don't even aren't even really taking that in because it's such a separate space. But then a lot of times after a show or something, we'll go down and we're talking to people and they're like, oh, you're so small. I didn't realize how small you are. Yes. And it just, you know, it makes you a little more self-aware, maybe in a way that you don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, Talk a bit about what you do when you're not playing music. What are some of the things you do for, you mentioned running a little bit. um, Other things you do for self-care and... Um, I, yeah, running is, is a big part of it. That's one of the only consistencies I can have between my tour life and my home life. That's one of the only things that I do in both realms Mm. pretty much in the same way. So that's nice. Um, but then when we're home, um, I have been really into sewing for the last several years. So I do a lot of sewing of garments that I make and, um, that's really, just like therapeutic to have something to do with your hands mm-hmm. and I can kind of just zone out and think about whatever or listen to podcasts or a book or something and and so and just be really sort of isolated which is a really nice feeling when you come home from tour yeah very cool I was gonna ask who some of your feminist heroes are hmm um I feel like the last time we asked that question we heard Beyonce yeah, yeah. 
So that I'm just saying that's not, that's not a stigmatized <laughs> yeah, <right>. response. <laughs> I would say definitely Beyonce because as I, I will <laughs> now that you mentioned it, but I do think about, especially as it relates to getting up on stage, mm. that is something that I've had to sort of acquire a taste for that I, I'm not necessarily in the very beginning. I, I don't anymore, but I had a lot of stage fright and I didn't enjoy getting up on stage. And I, I just I felt inappropriate if I was, and this is probably like diving into the gender thing somewhere too, but I felt like it was rude for me to get up there and be confident, you know? Mm. And (laughs) 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 so like somehow that wasn't the right thing for me to do. But I've like started to realize, and I think just, you know, the more success that we have had, the more you get on stage and you feel very like validated by that success and people coming to your shows. But I still have to think about people like really awesome performers and especially female performers and mm-hmm. how they get up and put on an amazing show and are like just leaving it all out on the court, so to speak. And um, I've tried to sort of take that on a little bit i guess also as it kind of relates to beyonce even right now um when i think about the genre of music that we play i would think about the dixie chicks as well and how they have been willing to you know stand up for what they believe in at the expense of you know their career and yeah their careers and um you know getting death threats and all kinds of crazy, terrible things. And I think because of the genre of music that we play, I I see that them as, you know, people to look up to in that way. Do you all have conversations off stage about the kind of things that you will and won't talk about on stage? Um, are you intentional about how political or apolitical you are, the kinds of things you're going to talk about? It's it's always just constantly evolving, I think, because the climate is constantly evolving, but also it just depends on how <laughs> relevant it really is to the music mm. that we're playing. And it and on this album release tour, it definitely became more relevant than it had been in the past, combined with the fact that it was the election season the whole time we were on tour. Um, but it, we don't necessarily have rules about what we do and don't talk about it's i feel like it's it's always you're always trying to ride that line where you want to talk about it but we also we don't want to get on stage and like preach about our views about things that's not you know we want the songs to speak for themselves and we want to have a good time when we're up there and um but you know it's just it's a constant sort of thought process of also not wanting to um prevent ourselves from speaking our minds either Mm -hmm. and trying to make sure that you're doing all of those things at once totally and are you potentially prepared 30 songs yeah i have another song i could do do one more to play us out (laughs) all right um this is actually a song i was working on today because um it's a song i've been kind of obsessed with ever since the first time i heard it and i've never had a real excuse to sit down and make myself learn it but it's um a guy um, who plays under the name Elephant Micah, and I think he's somewhat involved in the podcast scene as well. But he lives in Durham, and um, but I think I just discovered his music on a internet rabbit hole. But this is a song of his um, 
called the Still Life Blues. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.